Our scripture, <coughs> excuse me, our scripture reading this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And if you want a title, it's called The Choice of Life and Death. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your hung so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear, but are you drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in that land that you are going over Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. It's the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. Um, it's, yeah, it's good fun. Let's put it that way. It's good fun to be here this morning. After um, I'm going to be traveling next Sunday while you are having the survey at the service here, I will be on a plane traveling back to Nepal. And in fact, I'm looking ahead to um, what is going to be a pretty busy season um, until the summer. I think, I think I'll be here for two or three Sundays in total uh, before the summer. So just a heads up. Um, also, I've been reminded this morning that this is the first time I'm speaking in quite a long time. Um, and um, I, I guess it has to do with the fact that I was busy and also I was sick. Um, and I thought it's an opportunity for me to say thank you. I've been asked a lot of times, even now I'm being asked quite quite often how I'm doing after, after I had this interesting episode um, about a year ago with, with this um, rather nasty triple um, infection, hepatitis and Japanese encephalitis. Um, and what was the third one, Trina? Oh, dengue fever, right. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm doing well, thank you. I'm, I'm really doing well, I'm so grateful um, and I just want to thank you for your prayers. 
The fact, though, is looking back, I was reflecting a little bit the last few days also on, on the year uh, that's gone by, looking ahead uh, to 2018. I, I do a little bit of reflection uh, at the turn of the year. I'm old-fashioned, I suppose. Um, I, I think looking back to that spell of, of ill health, um, how do I put that? Karina, I don't want to embarrass you, but I, I think I owe my life to Karina. <laughs> and, and of course to the Lord. Uh, but so there was this moment when, when I was um, in hospital. Apparently Todd visited me, I have no recollection. Um, but there was that moment that, that night uh, when I was really, I was drifting in and out of consciousness the whole time. So I have just snippets of memory, snippets. And the memory I do have, I don't know whether it was three times or four times or five times, I'm not entirely sure, but the memory is that somebody was reading scripture. Um, and it was the same passage every single time I drifted into consciousness for a moment. And it was every time. It was that passage uh, out of Ephesians, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Pfft. Sorry, it makes me a little bit emotional. Um, so five times, what well, Karina tells me later that she does not remember how many times she read through the whole book of, of Ephesians. Um, but the point was that she had asked the doctors what is going on, and they told her that night, well, there's, there's nothing else we can do. His body needs to fight this off. That's pretty cool that um, it's not just up to the doctors, actually, that your spouse can take some influence and, and um, cry out to the Lord. So that's good. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, I think we have a pretty exciting passage today of Scripture. Thank you, George, for reading that. I love this passage. It's a passage, actually, that's, that's very um, foundational even to my work. It, it means a lot to me, and I'll say, I'll say more to that in a minute, of course. But isn't it cool how Moses at the end of his, towards the end of his life, he makes everything that seems complicated pretty simple. Hey guys, I got a choice for you. It's super simple. It's either life or death. Here you go. It's either blessing or curse. And then, and then he doesn't stop there. He will say, but please, and, and I'll paraphrase, don't be stupid. Don't be daft. Choose life. Choose life. So I thought that would be a great passage to wrap our minds around a little bit um, for this first Sunday of the year. And here's the plan. I thought what we do is I give you a little bit of, of uh, historical background to the passage because while it is simple, right, it's, it's a choice and it's two ways. Um, we can misunderstand the passage quite badly if we take it out of context and make it too simple. I, I'm, I'm not in the camp of making simple things complicated, by the way. Somebody said to me that there's two kinds of, of um, speakers at church. There's those who make simple things complicated, and there's those who make complicated things simple. Um, so I don't want to be in the second camp. 
in the first camp. Um, and yet, it needs a little bit of background. So I would like to give you a little bit of historical background to, to give us a deeper understanding of that, that scripture passage. I'd like to, secondly, offer a few observations about this passage without stringing it together into an argument. Just a few observations. And thirdly, I'd like to show you some pictures. I actually like to show you a brand new uh, video that we have, uh, which connects this passage with the work I do in Nepal. Um, you, you will recall that our organization is called Himalayan Life. And today's topic is Choose Life. So this passage is very foundational to, to what we do. Some historical perspective on, on this piece of scripture. Um, I mean, you are aware of, of all what happened in the book of Exodus, right? You are aware that Deuteronomy, where our, our today's scripture is taken from, Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell speech to the Israelites. Moses, at this stage, is 120 years old. Um, he, uh, scripture tells us he's not frail. He's still fresh, but he's 120 years old. I've, I've been on the phone with my dad a couple days ago. It was his birthday on the 5th. Uh, he turned 94, and it's, it's a pleasure to talk to him. He's still full of life, even though he will say that his body is frail. Um, Moses' body was not frail, apparently, but... He has a lot to say. I love to listen to a person like Moses uh, who has walked with the Lord, who has so much in rich experience uh, as Moses does uh, uh, when it comes to walking with the Lord. That's amazing. Um, we've just been talking yesterday about Michelle Obama coming to town. Um, I think it's in spring. Karina was thinking about looking into getting a ticket until we, figured, we found out that we're talking four-digit dollar amounts to get into that talk. Why will people pay thousands of dollars to go and, and listen to Michelle Obama? Why did Jimmy Patterson uh, a, couple, a few years ago bring in um, um, Bill Clinton to, to a conference in Penticton uh, and it paid a million bucks to Bill Clinton to talk for 45 minutes? Why? Because, obviously, the answer is so obvious. Because these are people who have something to say. There's so much rich experience there. And we want to learn. We want to, we want to take a benefit from their experience. That's why I go to Deuteronomy and read it very, very carefully. Uh, Deuteronomy, the whole book, is Moses' farewell speech where he puts together all his wisdom at the end of 120 very, very rich years. And he gives us something and I think we better listen. So the passage that we read is at the end of Deuteronomy, and it's sort of a summary of the whole book. So really, um, I'm inviting you to go home and read that thing. It's, it's interesting. It's very rich. Moses' life has been rich. So Moses' life starts at the end of 430 years um, uh, of Israel, not living in their own land. 430 years in Egypt. 70 people had left Egypt 430 years earlier. You know, the Joseph story and stuff, I'm not going into that, but there you go. Um, and had settled in Egypt, 
Uh, they had multiplied, they had grown. Uh, now it's 2.4 million people 430 years later. I, I, get, I really get a kick out of this. There is scholarly arguments. Todd will have read some of that stuff. Um, Old Testament scholars who discuss that topic. How can it be that 70 Israelites, um, the sons of, of um, Jacob, uh, become uh, as, as uh, powerful as six, as, excuse me, what's the number? 2.4 million, there you go, yeah. Um, scripture tells us it's 603,000 men. And if you then go and, and uh, look at the ratio of men to women and children, this, 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 this uh, factor of 3.9 something, so we figure it's 2.4 million people. How is it possible? 70 to 2.4 million. And they go, it's a miracle. No, it's not. Um, if, you can, if, if, you, if you have just a little bit of math, um, you can figure out that this actually is a growth rate of 2.45% per year, which is less than what Nepal has at 3% um, these days. So at the growth rate of 2.45%, uh, your population doubles in 26 years. So every 26 years, double, double, double. You can do the math. So it's not really a big miracle. They've just been busy. <laughs> There's no TV. <laughs> Um, and you got to have some fun, right? So, um, 2.4 million people, but their lives are not going too well. Scripture will tell us that Pharaoh, the king, um, he had forgotten about the good things that had come to his country through uh, the Israelites. He made their lives bitter, uh, and they were enslaved. They were doing the hard, hard labor to build the to build the pyramids and whatnot. Um, they were slaves. Slavery, by the way, is uh, not something that only existed uh, 2,000, 4,000 years ago uh, in, in Egypt. It still exists today. In fact, if you go to some um, informed web pages about slavery today, we're not talking about iron chains. We're talking about economic chains here. Um, the world has never seen as many slaves as today, never ever in world history. 40 million, 10 million of these are children, some of the children we worked with, uh, with Himalayan life. Um, that's, that's more on the side. So their lives are bitter, but into this situation, Moses is being born. There's all kinds of interesting details there, such as um, the midwives are called in to Pharaoh and they're instructed to throw all the male babies into, well, to kill all the male babies that are born to the Israelites and let the girls live. We're just in the, that's so interesting, we're just in the process right now um, of applying to the government of Canada um, for a grant uh, for Himalayan life. And that grant comes under a call of gender equality. Um, it's good stuff. The last few days, I've been working with the person who is actually hammering out the documents. Her name's Heidi. And we've just tried to understand what, what's, what's required to get, to get something from that grant. And here's the tricky part. Gender equality, as we understand it here, doesn't apply to a place like Nepal. And the answer is right here in this text um, about, about the girls, um, uh, 
about the boys having to be killed, but not the girls. So we have to treat boys and girls unequal. We right now have all kinds of programs for boys, but not for girls, because the girls were not so badly off as the boys. But it's changing right now. We have to wrap our, our minds around that. And then those midwives teach us uh, an, uh, an absolutely fantastic lesson about civil disobedience. They don't do what the Pharaoh is asking. They just ignore it. They're disobedient, and it's fine. They're going to be rewarded for that, actually, by the Lord. And then the Pharaoh goes to the next step, and he orders everyone to, to actively throw the boys into denial. And we get the next uh, lesson from Moses' mother, who actually does throw Moses, throw Moses in denial, except there's a little basket and stuff that, that goes with him. Um, but these are such good lessons in, in what God requires of his people. And on goes the story. So Moses is born under a death sentence. Um, he gets adopted. He becomes the prince of Egypt. He gets the best education in, in the world back then. Uh, he's wise. He is probably strong. Um, he has a very, very keen sense of justice, so much so that when he's 40 years old, he kills a man um, who mistreats another Israelite. Um, so now he's a murderer and a fugitive. That's kind of a, of a, a steep career, hey? Descendants, prince of Egypt, murderer, fugitive, shepherd. Um, and then he becomes the leader of a revolution as he gets called by, by God to do this. Goes back to Egypt. You know the stories, how he speaks for the people of Israel, how he goes before the Pharaoh. Uh, let my people go. Um, interestingly, Scripture calls him the most humble person ever. There's none that is as humble as Moses ever on this planet, scripture, scripture tells us in two places. That's a very interesting statement if you think about the stunt that Moses pulls off in front of Pharaoh. doesn't strike me as humble at all. It, it calls for rethinking the concept of humility and what God asks us to do uh, when, when we are being asked to be humble. Maybe that's a topic for another day. Um, so Moses becomes the leader of the people of Israel. And yeah, you know how the story goes on with the plagues and the flies and the frogs and the gnats and, and the locusts and, and the boils and whatnot. I think what is important for us here is to understand that these stories, yes, they are historical facts, absolutely, 100%, but they're much, much more than just historical facts. If we just treat them as historical facts only, we miss the point, and we will miss the point of Moses' call to choose, to choose today and choose life. These stories, they all have meaning way, oops, they have meaning way beyond themselves. They have meaning for our lives, and they have symbolic meaning. So here is just a few of the of the symbol of the symbols that we need to understand. Egypt, as a place, stands for the old life. The promised land, as a symbol, stands for the new life that we have in Christ. Okay, the land is the Christian life. So, so just keep that in mind as we go on. So we get all those plagues going 
And what's happening there is uh, God shows his power. And the Israelites were very much in the old life, Egypt, old life, in the old life. They experience, wow, there's a God who says that he hears our cries and he sees our pain and he is concerned and he listens and he comes down to help. This is amazing. So when Moses, when Moses proposes to them to lead them out, um, there's that little phrase that which says, um, and they believed. But they're still in the old life. They're still in Egypt. Eventually they get to the point where they where they take all their courage and they actually leave. Lots going on until to that point. They actually leave. And what's the first thing that's going to happen in the desert? They come down this mountain pass. I, for, all, for all those of you who have been to, to Osoyos, that's how I picture this place. When you come down Rigby Pass to Osoyos, um, you come down to the lake and there's not much, uh, there's not much uh, uh, no other place to go really than down to the lake except we're talking about an ocean here, the Red Sea. So they come down that pass, and the pillar, the cloud pillar or the fire pillar, the presence of God is going before them. And before they know what's happening, Pharaoh has changed his mind and chases after them. Pharaoh and his army, they don't come to kill the Israelites. Don't get that wrong. They want them back. They said, what have we done? We've lost their services. We need them back. We've lost our slaves. So they come to get them back to the old life. And so there's this situation at the shore. How many more times will I do that? Um, at the shore of the, of, of the Red Sea, where the Israelites need to make that final commitment. Are we going to go back or are we going to go on with all the risks it entails? And they waver. Um, and if it hadn't been for Moses, I, I think they would have gone back. But Moses cries out to God, and God says, Stop whining. Just stretch out that, that, that staff of yours. And he, he moves his presence, the cloud, the, the, the cloud of, of um, the, the pillar of cloud, behind them. And he confuses the, Egypt, the Egyptians so that they can't see, they don't know what's going on. 2.4 million people need to break camp, get ready to cross the sea. The wind comes up, the water gets divided. 2.4 million people, I can't wrap my mind around that one. We go camping quite a bit, and it takes a few hours to break camp when the four of us camp. And I've, I've been leading camps, and Heather and Robert could speak to that, and lots of you guys too. How much it takes to break camp when you have 100 kids there? 2.4 million people, holy smokes. Um, anyway, they do break camp, and they move into what used to be uh, the sea, and is now dry land, and, and that, the presence of the Lord moves behind them, keeps confusing the Egyptians. The Egyptians, they are so confused, they're really stupid here. They move between those two war walls, and, and, and um, anyway, they are catching up, 2.4 million people on foot, um, and 600 chariots, and uh, God intervenes and confuses them, and he throws their chariot into, into this ray. And I think what happens there is what still happens on the German autobahns uh, when it's foggy, uh, where you have people go at insane speed um, into the fog, somebody crashes, and next thing you know is you have 200 cars piled up in a huge, in a huge crash. That's what happened in the Red Sea. 
But you understand what the symbol is here? Old life, Egypt. New life, uh, Canaan. You go through the water from the old life to the new life. Are you, are you getting it? This is where the idea of baptism comes from. Have you ever thought about this? What is John the Baptist doing uh, when he starts baptizing people in the New Testament? He just takes people back to this moment of exodus. That's it. Leaving the old life behind, taking hold of that new life. Except, except it turns out it's complicated. Sorry, guys. It's complicated because after they cross the Red Sea, they're not in Canaan. It's not the land of milk and honey yet. It's not going exceedingly well either. There's lots of challenges. There's lots of lessons to be learned uh, before they can actually take hold of, <laughs> there we go in, uh, before they can take hold of that new life. Um, so they get into the desert, and the desert turns out to be the place where they need to learn who God really is and who they are and what God requires of them. Lots and lots of lessons. They, um, I mean, I mean, Moses had the best education in the world. He wasn't being stupid here. He knew exactly that leading 2.4 million people into the desert will create a little bit of a support issue. How do you feed them? In the desert. I, I, that was a man of faith. Wow. I'm very, very much inspired by that. Um, but it does border to, to recklessness, right? And so they get into the desert. First of all, they need water. They come to a source of water. They drink of it. They get sick because it's bad water. Now, I know a, a, a few things about that. Um, but anyways, so what's the lesson to be learned? I'm the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha. First thing to be learned. And then they get hungry, and they, they, they grumble and whatnot. Um, and God starts giving them manna and quails and whatnot. Next lesson to be learned. I'm the Lord who provides for you, Jehovah Jireh. And so on it goes, on it goes in the desert. And eventually they come to the Sinai and they get the Ten Commandments. And, and oh, even that is not going too well uh, if you think of the golden calf. If, if you ever come with me to Kathmandu, remind me to show you the golden calf, by the way. It still is there. And it's as stupid as it was to begin with. Um, it's ridiculous. But hey, it's there. Um, I, I, I shouldn't say that, by the way. It's, I, I take it back. <laughs> um, lots of lessons to be learned in the desert. After 40 years of desert uh, journeys, finally we come to this point of Deuteronomy that we're talking about. Finally, finally. And now Moses uh, issues that challenge to the people. Choose today. Choose today. There's two, there's two ways here. Here is life. Here is blessing. Here is prosperity. And the word, the word prosperity, of course, is shalom. Uh, shalom doesn't, doesn't just mean money. It, it means peace. It means harmony. It means life to the full. And on the other hand, there's death, and there's destruction, and there's calamity, and there's just think of Egypt, of the slavery and the drudgery and everything. That's, there's two ways. So, so that's a bit of a historical background. I think it's super, super rich for me. Um, some observations. First of all, the call to choose does not come in Egypt. 
You know, um, the way I grew up in my, my, my Christian heritage, we really had that backwards. And we still have it backwards some, sometime. The call did not come in Egypt because you know what? Had Moses issued that call to the Israelites in Egypt, choose today, life or death, they, they would not have been able to answer because they didn't know what, what he's talking about. They were not in a position to choose. It, it tells us something about evangelism, about, about spreading the gospel. What does it mean? First of all, people need to be in a place to understand the incredible offer of friendship and grace that God is holding out to us. That's lo- much of my work has to do with that. Bringing those three kids in Nepal to a place where they can actually understand the choice they have because they don't have a choice on the street. Second observation, um, and it's a direct spin-off, we have to be a little bit careful with um, um, when, when we talk about people who've made bad choices in their lives. Well, maybe they didn't. Maybe they were just in Egypt and they never had the chance yet, and nobody has led them yet uh, to that place where they go through the wars and then finally, finally are in the place where they can make the choice. Third observation, when Moses uh, issues that call, of course we have to read the whole book uh, before, before we just simply find, say, well, it's life or death. Um, the book starts in Deuteronomy 1 with, uh, with this amazing sentence that Moses has. You have stayed on this mountain long enough. I think what he's saying is way too long. Go, go and take possession of the land. Just go. It's, it's several times there. Go, go, go. Choosing life uh, very intrinsically means go. It's, it's, it's an action that's required. And in, in that goal, as part of that goal, we find a repeated call in Deuteronomy. That's maybe my last observation uh, from Deuteronomy. There's a repeated call to love God, not just fear him. Fearing God is there too, but it always goes beyond fearing God. It's loving God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And there's a repeated call to walk in his ways, of course. And there's a repeated call to remember. I think the book of Deuteronomy has um, either remember or do not forget. uh, These these two exhortations are there over 60 times. Do not forget. Remember. Remember what happened to you, where you came from. And, and, And there's also a call to charity that's a little close to my heart. There's, um, I think, 12 times you find the call, remember the alien in your midst. Uh, remember those who are, um, whose circumstances are not as good as yours. And when your own situation gets really nice, when you have enough food and when you have nice houses, remember the Lord your God. And remember those um, who don't have as much as you do. Karina and I... Thank you, Todd, for including that in your prayer. We are so grateful um, that our um, residential status has finally come through here in Canada. See, one of the, we come from Switzerland. We come from, um, I think, what's still 
the richest nation on this planet, highest uh, income per capita. Why do we come to Canada? That's kind of stupid, right? It's not at all. What we love about this place, what we are absolutely smitten by, is how in, in people's consciousness here, there is this, this thought of charity. It's deeply embedded. Even, even in the legal framework, the tax breaks you get when you make charitable donations, that's amazing. I absolutely love this. It comes right out of Deuteronomy. I don't know whether those who wrote up those laws um, have taken their clues from Deuteronomy, but it's, it's very, very beautiful and very biblical. We appreciate that. So we think it's kind of cool that we're here. <laughs> um, so there is in that call to choose life or to choose not life, there is a lot of stuff in there. Um, now, to me, and I'm a little bit mindful of the time, we also have communion today. To me, this comes very close when we talk about Himalayan life. Let's see whether this works. Yeah, it does. That's great. Oh, isn't that a cool picture? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Karina. Um, so, so when people think about Nepal, then, of course, they think about Mount Everest. Yes, it's there. And yes, it's beautiful. And yes, we've been there just recently. Uh, not on the top, but to base camp. Ooh, that was good. If you're interested, talk to me afterwards. Um, why is this call, choose life or choose not life, so important to us? Because the people we work with are very, very much still in Egypt. You understand what I'm saying by that now? They're very much not in a place to make a choice. A street child who deals with incredible trauma, who deals with abandonment, with drug addiction, uh, with having no parents, with not having enough food, with police brutality, with all kinds of things that are going on. Uh, there's no choice. It's just simple survival. And our job is to bring these kids from a place, from that place of Egypt, to a place where they can actually make a choice and, and, and choose whether they want to take hold of this incredible offer that God has for them, life to the full. So we do that. And, and um, it's actually, it's fun for me to show these few pictures because uh, we just had a media group uh, coming to Nepal and they took finally some really good pictures. I've, I've been unkind to you and I have shown you shaky um, um, iPhone pictures for years. Finally, I have some really nice pictures. So it's, it's a joy to show them to you. So we, we take those kids. We take them from the street. We feed them. We have, we have a street kitchen. And, and then we invite them to come to our shelter. And that's where the transformation begins. That's maybe, that's maybe the exodus, the coming out of Egypt, slowly, slowly, step by step, actually baby steps for the kids, because that's all they're capable of. We just had um, this couple in Nepal, uh, Leslie and Rich. Leslie is 68, Rich is 73. Rich has been the director of the Gleaners for quite some years. Wonderful people. And Leslie visited the street kitchen, and, and she, she met those kids. Then she came to the shelter where, where there's so much, uh, yeah, where you see so much life, where it's, how, how else can I be, describe it, where the transformation begins to happen, 
where you see kids engaging with each other, uh, where you see them play and, and, and be creative and um, develop faith and, and, and happiness and, and go to school. And it's amazing. So she said, I, I think what I would like to do is go to the street and actually shake those kids and say, go to the shelter. Choose life. That's exactly what it is. Choose life. So I have this, I have this um, short video that I'd like to show you here. And it, it speaks about that. Um, I'm talking too much in that video. In its final version, um, there will be just voiceover. But here you go. So we got two street guides, Kiran and Santos. Kiran is working at the plant. You've met him at the plant. You will meet him tonight at the halfway house. And Santos, actually, he, he has been at the plant before too. And he's back on the street. Um, and he has a girlfriend who cut out his tattoos because she didn't like the tattoos. So, so um, they simply, they cut them off. <laughs> And the girl who is sitting there, she's super high, but she's kind of Everyone is what can I say? Yeah, what can I say? Yeah, that's the life. That's, remember what I told you, Himalayan life is about bringing the kids from this place that I don't really have words. I call it the place of not life to life. That's why we call Himalayan life. That, that's the whole point. So, so Kieran, why why are we going here? What's the significance of this place? You you uh, So this is one of the areas where we used to sleep, and they pile up all. It's the marble that they cut here, like the marble for those floors, and they pile them up quite high, and we built little caves out of the marble and slept inside. Uh, slept inside those caves. And, and it was already back then, the police gave us a lot of hassle and so we would hide in those marble caves when the police came. So whenever the police could catch us, they would, they would catch us and take us to the police custody and we would, we would get beaten up until our whole bodies were just swelled um, and then they let us go again after a few days. A few days of beatings. 
I've seen every single police station from the inside in this valley. So, so how did you get on this ride? When I when I was still um, when, when my mom was pregnant with me, my dad left. I've never met my dad. Um, and and so my my mom uh, had to bring up uh, my older siblings and me and when i was still very little i i get it that about two or three years old um i became very sick um and and um the doctors gave up they said i was going to die i needed a bigger operation and i had an uncle one of my mom's uh siblings who had some money uh, and he wanted to help with the operation, but my mom said, don't waste your money on that rat. Um, it's, it, he's anyway going to die. This is what you give him. And my grandma and my uncle really were mad at my mom. Um, that she didn't want to um, spend the money for the operation and so they did spend the money on on the operation and and uh, Kira got well but shortly after the mom actually left uh, everything behind and everyone behind and she migrated to India got married again and and disappeared uh, a few years later uh, my mom showed up again here uh, she had Whatever happened, happened in India, she showed up again. She had become a heavy drinker meanwhile, so everything that was around in terms of resources just uh, was, was um, used for, for her addiction issue. Um, she had again separated from the guy she had uh, been hooked up with in India. There was another stepfather, that would be his stepfather number three or something around uh, by that time. And things just really didn't work out at home, not at all. So the street really seemed and was uh, the better place to be than the home. Um, and hanging out in the gang at the Snake and Blue uh, became my life and it was more bearable than the home. Um, then everything came to a head because I wasn't attending school regularly and there was that scholarship and so the police showed up and and there was the question where I was, so everything came ahead and they threw me out at home, they threw me out at the school and, and that's when I was really on the street. And my mom repeated at that time again what she had already said when I was little, um, uh, this guy's not worth investing in, if, if he wants to die on the street, let him die on the street, I'm not doing anything about it. And then that was my life, on the street, uh, living off the rubbish heaps, um, scavenging. Um, um, he was he was on the streets for nine years. Their uh, their group, their little gang, they sleep under the bridge. Let's go have a look. Okay. Let's go. So that, that's where they're sleeping, because that's the only place that never gets flooded. This fills up with water. Like, I just think, 
Yesterday night, how scary would have been? I was scared on the street yeah. because there was so much of it. He's not the half point from me to all, eh? He says the water runs off so fast here, it's never really scary for him. But they sleep up there because it's dry. It's always dry, even in the middle of the monsoon. They will be between between 10 and 12 boys sleeping here. Sometimes 15, he thinks. Sleeping here, eating here, and the, the stuff they collect, which is going to be sold off, they deposit it here until it's being sold off to the scrap dealer. So that's really that's their home base. Okay. Kieran is saying this to him is, is the place of ignorance in his life. Uh, an, an old life that was uh, marked by not understanding that this is not life. Um, and, and coming back here is like, like going back to the past and, and wondering what, what have I done? How have I wasted the time? Before I've been taken in and before I've learned what it means to live and 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 to to, to live a, a life that is suitable for a human being. And, um, yeah. Are okay, Banaman Lyo? Are okay, Banaman Lyo? And and then really, what has come to my rescue in my life is the street kitchen and getting to know the Himalayan light crew and and seeing a way out of this whole mess. That, that's been my rescue. I, I know that I could not have done this on my own. Uh, get the, the life change that I'm still going through, it's faith. Um, without God, I couldn't do it. And to me, uh, it's been very important that I have a life with purpose and with schedule. I go to work and I do work that's important. We go to the lakeside and to hotels and we collect bottles and we make the place better. Um, the truth is that even years into working at Himalayan Life in the plant and the apprenticeship program, I still use my income uh, for substances, glue and, and whatnot. But, but now I'm clean um, and, and I'm grateful for it. Um, Kieran's big dream is to be a sportsman. He's very, very good at sports. And he's sharing, why am I so fast in running? It's because I always had to run away from the police. So it's a blessing now. So I had to run. I had to run miles and miles away from the police. Now, um, I've uh, recently won uh, the poker 15 kilometer race. He did. He did, first, first in poker. Yeah. And the, the irony of the thing is, um, while he used to run away from the police, actually on that race up to Kaung Dada, um, the police distributed the medals, so he received the gold medal from a policeman. Down came the rain and washed the spider up. Up came the sun and dried up all the rain. Ipsy bitsy spider went up the spout again.
life in the biblical sense you know that there's two words for life in scripture one is bios and the other one is zoe bios is it's the word that you see that comes up when you start up your computer it has to do well we get the word biology from it has to do with cell division and with red blood cells and white blood cells and and the heart pumping and the lungs functioning and whatnot it, that's that's just the biological life but when this call goes out to choose life, the word that's used there, of course, is not bios, it's a zoe. It's that life that's marked by shalom. Uh, it's marked by the presence of the Lord. It's marked by go and take hold of the land. Um, walk with the Lord and trust in the Lord who is the healer and the provider and, and the Lord who fights for us and all of that. Um, so that call to hold to, to hold, to take hold of Zoe, that life in God. It goes out to street kids and it goes out to you and to me today because it's not a call that goes out to the people of Israel in Egypt before baptism and all of that. It actually goes out to them when they have long started to walk with God. So today the call goes out to me and to you, walk with God and, and trust in Him and 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 believe in in that good life that he has for us a life marked by peace and joy and love and 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 all of those fruit of the spirit not be not be scared of him uh, of those uh, of the challenges along the way um i think i finish here i had a lot more stuff i'll keep it just for the next time thank you Thank you, Daniel, so much. And uh, uh, many of you, or most of you, would know that a number of us went and to a number of those places in, in the video just less than a year ago, uh, March 2017. And uh, um, reflection before we turn to communion to, to simply say, I think a lot of us carry a question of how will we witness to the love of God in our culture where we live right here 
And one of the things that I have felt in prayer uh, before we went to Nepal, and then certainly after coming back, is that uh, through the work of organizations like Himalayan Life and for Sutherland Church, for this with this organization in particular, uh, it may be that that some of that witness to the love of Christ in the world can be shown through connections to to groups like this. It's sometimes easier. The same question exists for us in our culture, what it means to choose life rather than death. But sometimes the picture is not as stark. How could you, you know, someone who's living on the street and being harassed by police simply for being homeless, it's easier to draw that line sometimes. People that you know, friends, family, others, how do you say, well, you should choose life rather than death. It can be, but uh, oftentimes, even and particularly people who don't share the Christian faith can be really driven to do good things in the world. And uh, it might help greatly to say, let's continue to build this connection with Himalayan life because the fruit is not only there, but it's here. And so honestly, think whether you would like to go sometime because we'll work on that. We gotta start thinking now about the next trip, which will be some, some time off, uh, some time from now. But there are also, also these opportunities. You might have a friend who might be interested in, in doing some trekking. And uh, Himalayan Life runs those kinds of trips to say, we'll bring people over and just do what's effectively a, a, an adventure tourism experience, but they'll get to see things like this. And that is a real witness to the love of God in the world. And so keep praying how we can grow this relationship Obviously, as a church, we want to help and support Daniel and Karina and their family, but there is much more to this and much more that we haven't discovered yet in terms of the right way to build this relationship. So, Daniel, thanks so much. We'll continue to pray for you uh, as you go, and uh, what, a, what a tremendous blessing it is to hear these words. Thank you.